Welcome to Real Paranormal Activity, the network. Entertainment you'll enjoy. You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, RPA is proud to present Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. Hi, this is Steve Silver with Silver Screen Videos, and you're listening to Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. You are listening to Aaron's Horror Show, and I'm your host, Aaron Frail. We get to read fiction on the show and talk about some movies, books, you name it. If you like what I do here, please consider supporting the show at patreon.com forward slash Aaron Frail. You'll get some books and other cool stuff for your support. Go ahead and also reach out to me at Aaron's Horror Show at gmail.com, Aaron Horror Show on Twitter, or Aaron's Horror Show on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy. Welcome to Aaron's Horror Show, and I'm your host, Aaron Frail. Okay, Cal's Duty, the third book in this series. If you would like to go ahead and support me monetarily, you enjoy what I do, you want to throw me a couple bucks, this is the way to do it. Your help actually will compound if everyone does it around February 14th. So that's the day, February 14th, or a couple days thereafter. That's fine. But look for Cal's Duty by Aaron Frail, uh, F-R-A-L-E, A-A-R-N, uh, <laughs> on Amazon. And that's the place to do it. If we all do it around a certain time, if you buy a copy of the book, that gets me the most bang for the buck. Uh, and that really helps me all out, and I, I appreciate anyone who's going to do that for me. So, yeah, thank you so much. And, uh, yeah, we'll go ahead and read some more. Oh, and you know what? If uh, monetary support's not in the cards for you, don't worry about it, man. I, I've been there. <laughs> I've I've uh, been there where, like, man, there's all these people I want to support, and I I can't do it, you know. Uh, but, you know, when I, when I do have the ability, I, I try and do it, you know, because... Uh, I know how it is to be the kind of struggling artist, so I, I try when I can, and when I can't, I can. So no worries if you can't. Don't feel bad about it at all. I'm just saying, if you can, then great. That would help me tremendously, and I really appreciate it. But if you can't, don't worry about it at all. Keep enjoying the stories. All right, so with that being said, uh, I will go ahead and just do some more Hayden's Dilemma. So let's just go ahead and, and jump right in. Maker stood in the austere bridge of the dervish, engrossed in all the data streaming directly into his brain. All the other crew members used an augmented reality interface to control the ship that Maker had enhanced at Cal's behest, so they could customize the look of the bridge. They were much more comfortable with dials, panels, and a deck that looked like a typical starship. 
Makers thought that such dressings were not only unnecessary, but inefficient. A computer could calculate the course correction faster than Hayden's joystick. However, the crew was stuck in their three-dimensional world and uncomfortable with the realm of pure thought, so each member over time began to customize the bridge they would see when they were in the room. Hayden's looked like a cross between archaic science fiction series called Star Wars and Star Trek. Granark programmed his to look like an Orkandu vessel, and Cal stuck with the default program the humans who created the ship used. Even Hath Null had an interface that made it look like a bioship in a, the medical bay. When each person would step into the bridge, they'd see their own custom view. Maker saw the room exactly as it was, metal, gray, and dull. The people around him would interface with thin air. The idea that Maker would stand there quietly working weirded out the crew so much that he had programmed a fake set of hands in the augmented reality to make it look like he engaged with the interface like the rest of them. It seemed very human to Maker that Cal needed to maintain the illusion of a bridge on a starship. He programmed out any reminders that they weren't in a typical spacecraft. Maker scanned through the wreckage of the outpost from the captain's chair. Sid had taken up Granark's gunnery post, and his bird companion stood at the science station normally reserved for Maker. The Turisticu bombardments incinerated any semblance of a technological civilization ever having touched the surface of the planet. It was once again a lifeless rock that didn't even deserve the attention of the IF fleet. There were four destroyers, one battlecruiser, six frigates, and a complement of fighters on the far side of the planet. Maker had wisely matched their orbit by parking the dervish on the exact opposite side from them. Generally, hiding the orbit of a planet was a foolhardy maneuver. The Tristicus would fan out soon enough to cover all their blind spots and catch the dervish. However, since Maker sat in the captain's chair of the fastest ship that ever was, he was 93% certain that he could outrun them. The 7% margin of error accounted for the crafty adversary placing a vessel on the escape trajectory and the chance of the mysterious Dervish 2 making an appearance. Cal and the others had assumed their encounter with the Dervish 2 was because the Tristicus feared the Dervish falling into the hands of the Shisharian Collective rather than any attempt to recoup their lost property. In fact, most of the heat from their original stunt seemed to have died down. While they're still at the top of the most wanted list, Cal was pretty sure they didn't have the galaxy on high alert looking for them. Maker, however, wasn't as convinced that they could drop their guard or that the Dervish 2 was being used against the Shusharian Collective. While the government of Earth and the Collective were always maneuvering for power and political gain, they both had suffered too much in the Turisticu Wars to risk another one. While the Shusharian ship that had gotten away was probably a political mess for both of them, even though the ship had appeared in Turisticu-controlled space, then add the fact that there were not only one, but two advanced prototypes in the skirmish, probably had diplomats reeling for a solution that wouldn't result in another war. Maker knew that they hadn't seen the last of the Dervish too. The captain of the enemy vessel had performed with such precise strike to prevent Cal from connecting with the Collective, he knew their opponent was playing a long game and wouldn't waste resources while two evenly matched vessels chased each other across the galaxy. However, Maker didn't know all the pieces or even the game's goal. 
All he could do was account for the fact that their equal could be close in any given scenario. Shusharians were an enigmatic race and secretive before their meeting was interrupted with the destruction of two of their vessels. Whatever message they were attempting to pass to Cal would not be coming anytime soon. As any communications they sent to the collective were met with silence. Even Grand Orc's people didn't know as they were ordered to guide Cal and her crew to the coordinates but given nothing else. Maker wasn't surprised. Races in the Shusharian Collective were given odd specific instructions by the Shusharians but free to govern themselves. The order seldom made sense at the time but if the races wanted to continue to reap the benefits of being members they would have to comply. Maker once dealt with a world of the Collective. The people were ordered to gather 1 billion live samples of a particular type of insect and deliver them five years later. The Shusharians had picked up the load without a word as to why. Failure to comply with the request of the Shusharians would result in expulsion from the network that had convinced the spacefaring species to join the collective in the first place. Whether it was protection from bigger militaries, trade with a vast network of planets, Decrin, medical technology, one of the largest scientific exchanges of information in the galaxy, or even because the race just didn't want to deal with the humans, the Collective was second only to the Earth-centric Touristicue. However, the Shusharian Collective had one key difference. No one knew where the Shusharian homeworld was located. There had been rumors and claims throughout history, best-selling novels that would chronicle the human spy who figured out the planet where the Shusharians evolved. But it was all fiction. The humans didn't know, even members of the Collective didn't know. There were conferences, summits, meetings, and other government functions to coordinate the efforts of the Collective, but the Chusharian race would simply let each race know the same way they would hand out orders. They would appear out of nowhere, inform the planet of their duty to hold the next summit, and disappear. Contrary to what most races in the human-controlled space thought, the members of the Collective used it as a point of pride that they would hold the next temporary seat of government of the collective. Closest analogy that humans would understand was the Olympics, the largest gathering of sporting competitions in the galaxy. The planets would celebrate their hosting of the games at a great honor. However, the humans spun the odd way the collective governed their own fascist dictatorship, handing out edicts to oppress the planets who didn't fall in line. The reality was that even the race who had to collect the bugs had plenty of time, resources, and the ability to fulfill the request. Most people in the collective found the Shusharian request as a small price to pay for the benefits to their society. To the people inside the collective, the Shusharians were rich, weird uncle who would help them when they needed it. Every so often, that uncle would ask for things that didn't make any sense. To the folks on the outside, that uncle was a controlling, unreasonable and threatened everything the people worked hard to secure. The bottom line was that if they were going to find out what the Shusharians wanted from them, they would have to play by their rules. Maker added to the things that he'd watch out for. He knew the Shusharians and the Dervish too would make another appearance in their life. However, the next time Maker wanted to have more knowledge. While Cal and the rest of the crew seemed more comfortable with information gaps, Maker did not like not knowing. The Birdman squawked and clicked furiously. While the translation technology was ubiquitous throughout the galaxy, most places and ships had a permanent feel to let each speaker hear the language they wanted to hear. There were still a few tongues so foreign that the AI managing the translation matrix couldn't even guess. If a translator encountered a new species, 
It would take a little time to learn the speaking patterns through context and observation. Most creatures with language would eventually be able to communicate with each other via the translators. However, some creatures, like the Birdman, who, according to Sid, did not have a name and found them offensive, was one such example of the shortcoming of AI. Its language was erratic, and the translator made it sound incomprehensible, unlike any other thing in the galaxy. The crew just turned off the translation for the Birdman to make matters worse for the struggling algorithm that her crew was one of a kind, so the computer didn't have any other example of a back-and-forth conversation to figure out the nuances of the language. The baffling part was that Sid had spent so much time with the Birdman in prison, he knew exactly what the creature was saying. As Maker attempted to understand what Sid was hearing, he could not. He was forced to conclude that there must be something more than observable squawks and clicks. He figured that there was some sort of bonding component. From pheromones all the way to a wild hypothesis such as quantumly entangled particles between them. He says that he has analyzed the dirt around the base. Their displacement patterns consistent with two humanoids of Grand Orcs and Cows' statures leading up to the cave. That would explain why there are no signs of life, Maker said. The Birdman chirped and flexed his wings, Sid translated. There is also evidence that a larger creature with many legs also went into the cave. The timing of the Trisicu fleet was unfortunate. As soon as they had gotten wind of the course change, Maker had repositioned their ship, moving the ability to monitor the situation on the ground. When they had launched a few probes disguised as base junk to watch the other side, the Tristicus had already fried the outpost. Do you have any idea what it is? Maker said as he looked over the data. The Burban shared a picture with the group. It showed a charred remains of a hideous insectoid creature. Hayden looked at the blank wall in front of him that was no doubt what he liked to call on screen. What is that? Hayden said in awe. Maker connected to the Citronites biology database and search for the insectoid, the computer attempted to match the remains of billions upon billions of creatures in the galaxy. It was a shame their bird friend only had one entry created by Maker himself. He would like to know more about his crewmate, if only for his insatiable curiosity. Maker turned the crew. I think we're going to need to send another shuttle to get them. Ideas? We might be able to go unnoticed by the human fleet if we stick to the atmosphere, but it would take forever to fly around the planet, Hayden said. Uh, can't we just launch a shuttle and make it look like a piece of space junk, like we did with the probes? Maker shook his head. The probes were given a spin to make look like defunct weather satellites. They can passively do their tasks, and we can compile data from each rotation. Even if they don't decide to tractor beam the shuttle and take a look, the engines have to fire sometime if we want to land on the surface, the bird chirped. I, I don't think a shuttle could outrun a warship. No, Maker said, but we can. Hayden, take a recent Taka down in a shuttlecraft. Taka was a dearthlick from the land of the Three Suns. Her skin was thick and lumpy like clay. Rumor had it that humans had first discovered her species, thought they were ancient ruins, when they stood perfectly still. Either way, Taka knew the ways of the desert and would be an invaluable resource. Taka? Hayden questioned. You know she hates leaving the ship. She'd rather hang out in the bowels making repairs. Take Sid and the Birdman. I'm going to need them here. With you gone, I can't pilot the ship and manage the weapons. Hayden scoffed. Maker could run the ship himself. He was the smartest being among them. 
Even if he needed to physically perform tasks, he was a quad helix. He could borrow the limb of any biological creature. While Maker could be a one-person vessel, he didn't want to do it. He recognized the importance of acknowledging the talents of others. Taka knows more about the climate of desert planets than any database you can upload before you go, Maker said. This isn't a request, now please go. What? <laughs> he wants to go down the planet? That's what we'll have to do if we don't want to get blown out of the sky. There shouldn't be any ships to hinder your progress. You can orbit to the other side and get there in a few hours. So, so why Taka? Y you made it sound if we are going to live there. Only until we can make it back. Oh, wait, what are you going to do? I'm going to let the Terrestrials chase us. What? Sid and Hayden yelped. That's why I need a gunner, Maker said. It will only be long enough to draw them away from the planet. We'll be back to pick you up when the system is clear. Now, that could take forever if they call for backup, Hayden protested. Which is why you need Taka, Maker said. Now will you transfer the helm controls to me? With a sour face, Hayden pressed a button on his panel and swiped it towards Maker. The request was out of courtesy. He could take the controls any time he wanted as acting captain, but Maker had learned a thing or two about Cal about leadership. People followed her because she respected them as much as they did her. When they had first busted out of prison together, Maker had a tough time with the rest of the crew. Maker would take the controls from their other crewmates or do other people's jobs when he found himself to be more efficient, which was all the time. It irritated everyone. Maker hadn't understood his social faux pas until Cal explained how her village elders were much happier when they were given rope to weave when the younger people did everything for them. Even though Maker had thousands of years of experience over most of the crew, most of it had spent in the solitude of scientific discovery. He would drift, going anywhere his curiosity led him. It wasn't until Cal had found him vulnerable and afraid on Dr. Fessler's table that Maker had realized that he needed people in his life. While social graces may never have been a part of his studies, he made a point to learn them. For the first time in his life, he liked the people around them. Before, other beings were too slow to understand his research or were curiosities to be studied. Now, they were his family. Hayden sighed and left the bridge. Once the three were dropped into the atmosphere, with a shuttle to await the next phase, Maker made a show of sneaking out of the solar system as soon as the fleet turned to intercept them. He punched it. The humans were caught wind of the dervish and were gone in the blink of an eye. All right, thank you for listening. We'll be back with more Aaron's Horror Show next week.